0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to What's Important Now from the United States Border Patrol Academy. Here with me today, we have the chief of the Swanton sector which on the northern border in Swanton, Vermont, if you've never heard of it. Somebody that uh, for all of us that have been around in the Border Patrol for a long time is somebody near and dear to all our hearts. He's a good friend of mine, Mr. Robert Garcia, Chief. Thanks for being here with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. So I want to tell everybody a little bit about you and and, uh, what brings you into the United States Border Patrol. Start off with you were a member of Class 253, so you've been around a while, since 1992. Yes, May 92. I ask this of everybody. Do you remember your class chant? Absolutely. Let's hear it mean green 253 on the line is where we'll be nice and that's uh that's what 20 nine years 29 29 years years. later and you still remember just like that that's it so do you still stay in touch with classmates you still have classmates in the patrol uh only only a couple
1: left Mm -hmm. in in the patrol and uh it's interesting that uh so the 253rd session 254 session we uh we were sister classes one Mm -hmm. went uh came here uh to and one went to glencoe so, really, there was a hundred or so of us yeah, in with the same EOD dates and, and whatnot.
0: Wow. So, you had, you had some that went to Artesia, some went to Glencoe. Did you all stay in touch? Did you all know each other? Or? Uh, didn't really know
1: each other, but we knew each other uh, in the fact that uh, if, if there was any kind of thing, when it, we were looking at seniority, you knew uh, that there was uh, a blending of 253rd. Those two those two classes, it oh. was it wasn't just 50 individuals getting whittled down over time with attrition down to, for retirements and promotions and things of that nature that leave the uh, the patrol.
0: Okay, and so you came in in 1992 and you're actually from El Paso, if I'm not mistaken. Well, um, I'm from El Paso, yes. I uh, went to high school in El Paso and
1: uh, I graduated from uh, University of Texas at El Paso. So I'd call El Paso. You yeah. I minors. Uh, my dad was in the military and uh, we had bounced around um, at different locations, but ended up going to high school and then to the university there.
0: So is that where you heard of the border patrol, where you saw them for the first time? <clears throat> so yes, I did get a good
1: uh, taste of, of what the border patrol uh, was being there in El Paso. I also had a, uh, an uncle who joined the border patrol while I was in high school and he got stationed there at station one. Oh. Okay. Um, and uh, he, he'd tell me about what it is that he was doing, um, working uh, the border there in el paso and the kind of excitement that he'd have and i was already interested in law enforcement to begin with and and it kind of gravitated pulled there. me pulled me right in
0: now as your uncle did he stay in or did he uh... he stayed in yes
1: uh had a long career retired uh, out of a mccallum area uh, rio Grande valley sector and
0: uh and you don't happen up. to know what class he was do you so he was, he was part of the uh, 226,
1: the big class. Of oh, two, the uh, Alabama, yes. Fort McClellan. Yep. Yep. And so he was part of a big hiring uh, push.
0: So for those that don't know, the uh, class 226 we refer to as the Fort McClellan 500 or the Alabama 500. We mm-hmm. had 500 trainees go through the Border Patrol Academy at Fort McClellan that one time that it mm-hmm. was there, uh, one of the Biggest hiring pushes at a at a at a moment that we had in, in our history. So he was part of that. He was part of that. And then here comes you in class two five three. Not long after that. Not too long after that. No. So he would have been nineteen eighty eight. Is that about right? Yes. Okay. About there. All right. And so, growing up in El Paso, you actually grew up in a border community. Mm-hmm. And I've lived in El Paso. I love that town. I think it was a you know a great one of the best places I've been. I've been stationed. Yes. There's a lot of people that don't, uh, they they only see things on the news about what living in a border community is all about. A lot of misnomers about that. El Paso is actually one of the safest uh, cities in the country. Uh, And no small small part because of all the law enforcement and military presence is there. That's a a great place to live, is it not? It is a great place to live. I, I love my time in El Paso.
1: And uh, that was my first duty station, was going back to El Paso Sector, um, being part of El Paso Sector, uh, as they say, where the legend began. Where the
0: legend began. And, uh,
1: but it, it was a little uh, further west in uh, Deming Station. Uh, but growing up in El Paso, uh, going to school there, uh, a lot of friends there, still have a lot of friends
0: uh, there in El Paso. So when it, when it comes time to retire, are you going to go back that direction or what's, uh, what are you looking at? You know, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens. I ask that because you have gone from one extreme to the other. You're currently in Swanton, Vermont. <laughs> it doesn't get much more different than El yes. Paso there. Yes. And that's a great place to live as well. It is. Beautiful part of the country. I've Absolutely. The I'm, I'm living in forest. Well, let me tell everybody kind of uh, your background and what you did now. Uh, not the least of which I think this is where I got to know you. You got on to the Border Patrol Tactical Unit, uh, Class 11. Mm-hmm. That was one of the easier classes, I, I think, that Border put on, right? I think you got that confused with another class. I think
1: <laughs> 11 was the toughest class I think that has got gotcha. you.
0: So, so class 11, you start off at the Deming Station in El Paso Sector, mm-hmm. and you've moved all over. But you, uh, in 2004, you became an assistant chief at headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you became the assistant patrol agent in charge of the SLETA station in El Paso Sector, mm-hmm. and that's what we now call the deputy patrol agent in charge. used to be called the assistant patrol agent in charge. Correct. You were an acting patrol agent in charge there for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, took part in some, uh, some infrastructure improvements and checkpoint construction. We'll talk about that in, mm-hmm. in a second. Uh, you became the patrol agent in charge of the Fabens station in El Paso sector. So I'm seeing a trend. El Paso is pretty important to you. A- and Fabens is now called the Clint station. Is now called the Clint station. Yes. Thank you very much mm-hmm. I, I, for reminding me. 2010, you promoted to the assistant chief patrol agent in the El Paso sector, and uh, had the disrupt unit and, and uh, with the best team. Uh, You also did the Alliance to Combat Transnational Threats for the New Mexico-West Texas Corridor. In March of 2011, you became an Associate Chief back up to headquarters. And then uh, in February 2015, you were promoted to the Deputy Chief Patrol Agent of the Swanton Sector and ultimately, in uh, March of 2018, the Chief of the uh, Swanton sector mm-hmm. where you are now. and So you got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from, as you said, from UTEP, and you graduated from the CBP Leadership Institute and the Department of Defense, University of Foreign Military and Cultural Studies Red Team Instructor Course. That's a lot. Yes, so you've been around a while, and you have uh, you have crisscrossed and done all kinds of things in the Border Patrol, and I want to hit on some of those. But a lot uh, of moves, a lot of moves, and and maybe we can talk about that as well. Because when we have the trainees and and maybe the uh, the agents out in the field that are looking to promote or or kind of follow uh, follow your lead and some of the things that you've done, really look to see what what advice you might have to give them in that regard. And first thing I want to talk to you about is. The northern border versus the southern border. We hear that all the time. We we don't just patrol the southwest border. We, we patrol all of our borders to include the coast and, and the northern border as well. Having come from El Paso, one of the largest and busiest sectors in the country, and going up to Swanton, Vermont, what are the differences? Well, they're
1: significant. you yeah. um, got a, a lot more resources on our southern border, uh, certainly. Uh, and uh, there's... Uh, twice the amount of border on our northern border and a whole lot less resources up there uh, to do what it is that we need to do. So when it comes to uh, getting the job done, we need to be um, we need to be as smart as we can about how we get that job done uh, given the uh, terrain, the complexities of, of what it is that we're up against. Partnerships are very critical with our law enforcement partners. Uh, that's whether it's municipal, tribal, uh, county, state, other federal partners uh, in the area we have a great collaboration with them when it comes to uh, what we do in swan and swan covers some 295 miles of border across uh, three states uh, northern new york all of vermont and all of new hampshire so we got our hands we got our hands full up there because uh, uh, uh when the terrain itself is um it's forest you're walking through the forest at, at times and you look behind you, and it's hard to discern where you just walked. Mm-hmm. So our, our traditional uh, techniques that we use um, on the southern border that are that are very effective are, are less effective, still needed, but less effective in, in more difficult terrain.
0: And you mentioned something I think is important to, to recognize. Your area of responsibility spans three different states. Yes. Parts of New York. Vermont, and New Hampshire. So with that comes three different state governments, a multitude of law enforcement partners on, in all mm-hmm. three states, different U.S. attorney districts. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a good sense of collaboration and partnerships to be able to be in a job like that. And I'm sure that your agents have to be willing to, and, and ready to adapt to wherever they're assigned to work. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, it's it's maintaining those
1: partnerships and investing in them um, that, that keep them uh, solid. For us to be able to be as effective as we can be with the with the constrained resources that that we have dedicated to the northern border.
0: And you talked about the terrain so it what I remember being up in Maine and being over in, in Grand Forks sector is it's very remote comparatively and it takes much more to get from point A to point B so if you have a indication that there's a illicit traffic coming across the border it may take you an hour or two to even get to that area. Yes very
1: difficult very difficult to get to, and uh, and when you're you're moving in to see what that activity is, it's important to know that you had your, you have some backup um, headed your way or that's uh, it's near to you.
0: And so, and when a person goes out to the northern border, and I talked about this with uh, uh, with Chief Maddox when he was on, you won't go out there and see a border wall. You don't go out there and see any kind of fence. Sometimes you may see a berm. Sometimes you may see a border monument. Sometimes there'll simply be a cut in the forest, a slash as we call it. And that's your only indication that you're crossing from one country into the other. Correct. Correct. And it's a uh,
1: it presents a, a whole host of other uh, challenges that we just don't have on the southern border uh, when it comes to uh, uh, lateral movement, being able to get to uh, what it is that we, we need to get to, um, how you get to it. Uh, the uh, climate, uh, and when everything has a blanket of snow over it, getting to it on a, on snowmobiles, um, yeah, it's it's different. Well, and that's another different. that's another
0: good thing because up there, it's not like you can just jump in a Tahoe or a car and drive wherever you. You have to have these different vehicles, these different ways to be able to access your your patrol areas. So when we show videos or people see TV shows of Border Patrol out on horseback, on snowmobiles, on ATVs, on UTVs, in Tahoes, or walking on foot, that all actually happens every day. Correct. It does. And on, in vessels as well. Uh, so we,
1: we do, we're, we're patrolling the St. Lawrence, and we're also on Lake Champlain, the Missiscoe Bay, and uh, Lake Memphremagog, and uh, so we're, we're out there.
0: Let me ask you the softball question because it's, I'm sure there are people that are wondering, is there anything going on on the northern border? Is no. there is there things to worry about? <laughs>
1: There is. There's traffic
0: on the northern border. As a matter of fact, Swanton
1: has uh, more illicit traffic uh, coming through that particular area of the border um, than most of the other 4,000 miles of of northern border. border. So it's a very busy environment.
0: And what kind of traffic
1: do you see? The same kind of traffic that we have uh, on the southern border. We have transnational criminal organizations moving contraband, whether that contraband is um, narcotics and or humans. Um, And and what we do, uh, we take our time with what it is that we put our hands on uh, to really peel back those layers and understand uh, what we have in front of us. And that great collaboration that we have with the U.S. Attorney's Office allows for us to provide a consequence there that usually um, builds Uh, our picture of of what we have in our operating environment, the complexity of of that organization specifically. So
0: So when we talk about, from a Border Patrol perspective, about border security, we're not just talking about the the southern border with Mexico. We're talking about border security as the entirety of the borders in the U.S. When we talk about the threat picture and how we resource our border security efforts, we include those uh, 4,000 plus miles of, uh, of border with Canada. Correct. Yes, we do. But
1: uh, we, are having, we have only so much resources to go around. And uh, right now, we, are, we position ourselves as best we can, try to leverage that technology that uh, we do have to uh, sense the border environment.
0: So do you have some of your men and women that are going down to the southwest border right now to help out with the surge? We do. And we have a considerable amount of our, our resources down there. So we talk about that, uh, you know, how that impacts our operations, the uh, border security operations. The surge is a, you know, it's a humanitarian issue, and we're down there trying to make sure that everybody that's coming across looking for a better way of life is, you know, is taken care of in the right way. It does detract from the, our ability to provide border security, which is our primary mission, not just on the southwest border, but up on the northern border as well. Your, your manpower that's down there is actually better served from a border security standpoint, up there on patrol, where you need them. Well, we have uh, we have our mission where we need to get it done uh, on both
1: borders, all borders, as you have said, and uh, uh, absolutely, um, we have uh, we have issues on on all our borders, whether it's the coastal, the northern border, uh, that are contributing to the uh, surge on the southern border, where those agents could be uh, sensing um, in their environments in the coastal and the northern border, where we don't have a whole lot of uh, capability now. Now is the time where we're really relying on on our partners and uh, technology that we've we put in place as force multipliers, as well as the community. Um, we get a lot of uh, of good information from uh, the border community, uh, being able to discern what is um, just doesn't sit right, or seems suspicious and peculiar, and they call us and. Uh, we go investigate, and their suspicions are validated uh, when we uh, put our hands on on the uh, smuggling loads uh, that are moving across the area.
0: So and going all the way back to well, 1924, and even before the Border Patrol was officially established, we've dealt with different types of traffic and, and flow coming across our border illegally since that time. And, and it's being in the Border Patrol for 29 years, this current surge is not the first surge you've seen. No. I, I did also do some time in Tucson sector um, at the uh, NACO station
1: and, and now called the Brian Terry station. Yep. And uh, I was uh, working there in the uh, previous high water mark year, uh, it was the year 2000, I believe, where mm-hmm. we had uh, uh, the most traffic that we had seen previous to this this time that we're in right now. But um, yes, these surges uh, have happened. but. And that today it's different because of what it is that we're seeing as demographics coming across, mm-hmm. and what those demographics uh, present as challenges for us uh, in when it comes to uh, processing um, these these groups, uh, especially the uh, the ones that are uh, the vulnerable ones, mm-hmm. those unaccompanied uh, children.
0: So I, I talk about that in the same way. It's you know when we were out on the on patrol, you know it, it was mostly. SINGLE ADULT MALES, Mm -hmm. uh, MOSTLY FROM MEXICO. AND THE WAY THAT WE PROCESSED THEM WAS MUCH SIMPLER THAN IT IS TODAY. IT WAS a, A VERY SHORT PROCESSING FORM OF 213. WE WOULD ENROLL THEM IN AN IDENT SYSTEM, AND THEN THEY WOULD BE VOLUNTARILY RETURNED AT THEIR OWN OPTION BACK TO MEXICO, WHERE THEY WOULD IN ALL LIKELIHOOD JUST KEEP TRYING TO COME ACROSS. AND SO WHILE WE WERE CATCHING A LOT OF PEOPLE COMING ACROSS, it was much easier to handle that volume than it is today because of what you're talking about. Much different than when you have family units and unaccompanied children coming from Northern Triangle countries that, that aren't Mexico. How we process them, how we have to uh, care and and, and and hold them is much different than it was back then. And that actually creates a much larger burden on that whole system than when you and I were out there. Correct. And
1: and what I believe is, is, is really something that... Uh, we have to pay attention to is, is the burden that it puts on what is left out there to continue to do that national security mission. Mm. Because as we dedicate more and more resources to uh, to that um, uh, processing of these different demographics and the energy expended there, then there's the energy as, as we just discussed, isn't out on the border trying to sense uh, where things are trying to still sneak in. Seizing narcotics,
0: catching criminals, mm-hmm. sexual predators that come across we can't be out, we can't be two places at once. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, the bird in the hand, we have to be there taking care of the folks that are in our custody and that precludes our minimum from being out there on patrol. Yes. Which is essentially the biggest threat to border security that we've got right now is not being able to be out there on patrol. It is not having those, those resources out
1: there um, that we need in between those POEs uh, to sense uh, those things that aren't given up, that are trying to get into this country and not be uh, um, apprehended or or encountered by our resources and and processed for uh, the claims that they're making.
0: So I want to talk to you about the system a little bit, because you played an integral role in this latest surge and what we've done to try and get better and mm-hmm. uh, working with our partners. So in short, the entire system has to be capable of managing the flow across the border that's coming at us. Not just the Border Patrol, but everybody behind the Border Patrol to include ICE, ERO, HHS, Office of Refugee and Resettlement, everybody down the line, immigration judges, immigration courts, if there's any point along the way that is not capable of addressing the volume that we're seeing, it starts to cause that backlog. The only people that can't say no to that flow are those of us in green, the Border Patrol. Correct. (laughs) And so we end up getting, a lot of times, bearing the brunt of that backlog. Well, you went to D.C. to work with... Our partners, uh, specifically HHS, or our, to try and help out in that regard, and and that has helped the time in custody and border patrol custody tremendously. Tell us a little bit about how that happened. Absolutely, and uh, the
1: uh, so when the unaccompanied uh, children uh, volume started to build, and they started to build after the uh, end of the uh, calendar year last year, and then it got to a high water mark in in March where. Uh, what you just described as the logistics tale of, of not all of those different components of, of the United States government's resources to deal with volumes, um, weren't weren't synchronized uh, in a way or 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 prepped in a way for that volume. So I went to DC and I, I was able to work with those partners um, in there in the Ronald Reagan building. Uh, and we had uh, uh, HHS, ORR, um, the uh, ICRO, uh, uh, CBP, uh, FEMA, um, a lot of great, great people working hard to try to, to work through what it was that, uh, um, where there was friction and looked at the process and uh, looked at how it is that we were doing things so that we could better facilitate uh, how we interacted as well as building capability with the emergency intake sites uh, being stood up. Uh, to allow for a, a place a better place for these vulnerable populations and then uh, work to to get the the backlog down uh, setting some uh, priorities some demographic priorities uh, We wanted to get the uh, the most vulnerable to the less vulnerable out of our custody as quickly as possible um, and get back to where, where we should be which is uh, not having any uh, unaccompanied uh, a child in our custody over 72 hours and this was it was uh it was a big task given how much we had um, when we started uh, but uh, we got synced up to where we needed to be um, and we were able to push that backlog uh, into better facilities hhs facilities uh, those uacs and it it freed up our our processing uh, locations and it it allowed our agents um, to some agents uh, to be, uh, uh, re reassigned or realigned uh, to other areas so that demographic priority that I was I was working uh, to to mitigate was the unaccompanied children demographic mm-hmm. however there was a those other demographics that we talked mm-hmm. about were still there so uh, still needed uh, also the energies uh, to process so when we got the uh, bad population down then we were Able to maintain that uh, first and foremost to become compliant with uh, uh, TVPRA and and, and Flores, uh, then. So explain the, what those are, real the, quick. For those uh, the extra, don't know. the the, uh, the policies and guidelines that, that that dictate that we should not have those unaccompanied children okay. um, over seventy-two hours.
0: And well, acknowledging that we that we have a long way to go still, we're still improving. Uh, so I think it's the point that you're making is that we're not there yet but we've made good strides and we'll take every victory great strides yeah made great
1: strides with the uh, the unaccompanied children uh, demographic for sure and and really uh, syncing up uh, HHS and I gotta give credit to HHS and in, in really building the capacity with the emergency intake sites um, that they established to have uh uh, better places than our holding facilities, our temporary holding facilities. They weren't designed to hold um, right. these volumes uh, for lengths of time yeah. beyond 72 hours. That's
0: not our intended that, mission, and that's not, not what our all. facilities are for. That is what HHSOR is intended mm-hmm. for, and so the fact that we can get them into their hands as soon as possible, that's a victory because mm-hmm. it also allows us to be able to get back out on patrol and doing the job yes. that, that we're intended to do. So, yeah, I, that, I don't know if everybody will be able to, uh, realize just how huge that accomplishment was and, and the hand was, that you played in it
1: oh it was it was good it was very rewarding to to um get that team um to where we were able to function and function well and, and get down to where we had uh, zero uh, in custody over 72 hours was was phenomenal it Was clearing out the backlog that uh, that was there over 72 hours which was substantial thousands and uh and put us and position us in a much better place as it relates to the uh, unaccompanied children volumes.
0: And I wanted to dispel another rumor. So all up and down that system, whether you're talking about CBP, Border Patrol, FEMA, uh, HHS, ICRO, nobody's sitting there saying, ah, we don't wanna worry about this or oh, this, you know. Everybody's willing. They wanna try and do what they can to be good partners and, and solve this problem that's before us at the end of the day it just becomes a capacity issue and we have to work together to try and streamline those processes and build capacity as you Mm -hmm. said where we can but that's a team effort it is a team effort and uh, it doesn't matter
1: uh, when you come into a a team environment a joint environment like that and then that's the way you have to look at it we are all in it for the same same end uh, which was uh, to 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 help the the vulnerable populations that were in our custody and put them in a better place and put and, and care for them and uh we were able to do that, and everybody that was a part of that, um, I give credit to the, to the diverse team that
0: was there. So we still have the flow coming across the border. It's just that now we're able to deal with it in a better way. Absolutely. So the flow is still there,
1: um, but uh, because of some of the things that we've, we were able to come together and uh, interlink uh, with uh, the uh, entities, um, ICE, ERO, uh, the uh, HHS, ORR. Um, with the capacities and bed space and, and whatnot, now we're able to move those flows much more efficiently, much more effectively, and um, that has allowed uh, us, the border patrol agents, the CBPOs, uh, that we're all out there processing mm-hmm. these volumes, uh, some space, some time uh, to do that.
0: And so I say it's 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 progress. It's uh, but it's not the magic bullet yet because, as you said, the flows still coming across our agents, our men and women are still having to dedicate themselves to intake and processing and and the temporary uh, care and feeding that must be done. That still takes them away from the border security mission. Absolutely. So that flow needs to be mitigated somehow. Yes it does. Yes it does. (laughs) So and I want to switch to that uh, on the border security side because there are folks that are responsible for that flow. The transnational criminal organizations that, uh, that direct the flow to their benefit uh, they take advantage of the chaos, so to speak. they off the backs of those that are seeking a better way of life to divert us and pull us off of missions so that they can get other illicit goods and narcotics and folks of interest across more successfully.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, that's been the case for quite some time. Um, and uh, uh, transnational criminal organizations, complex organizations, uh, um, they, they're they very in tune with uh, what the flows are are that are coming up and presenting themselves on the border and, and uh, manipulating that to their benefit um i would imagine that, that the uh the more that we can we can disrupt and dismantle that uh that we we might be able to
0: because that's the real threat in, in some of those flows in some of it but that's the real threat when we talk about the threat to to our country it's it's them that we're talking about we're mm-hmm. not talking about You know, the average citizen is coming across looking for a better way of life. Mm -hmm. You know, we all feel that. And and when it comes to uh, the children especially, you know, nobody wants to see anybody in a bad situation. And when they're in the hands of those individuals, they are in a bad situation. They are definitely in a bad situation there. And we see that all the time. We've seen just a couple examples here the past couple months of uh, children being abandoned there by the border or dropped off of the fence. You know, and, and when you're that Border Patrol agent and you come across that child, how do you know? Okay do they know where they're from? Do they know who they what their phone number is? Their parents? That's a, that's an incredibly stressful and difficult situation for anybody, to, especially if you're a parent.
1: It's heartbreaking. <laughs> it
0: is. Absolutely. And, and and so and you think about that, you know, what they've gone through to get to that point uh, in the hands of smugglers and human traffickers and and even when they cross our borders, if they don't get caught by us, they're still in the hands of those individuals. You've seen the stash houses. Mm-hmm. You've seen the tractor trailer loads that uh, that people being locked in tractor trailers in incredibly high temperatures. And when they get to where it is they're going, are they going to be forced into a human trafficking situation? It doesn't stop once they cross the border. Yes, and it, uh,
1: it's it's. A lot of human smuggling uh, turns into human trafficking. Um, a lot of what it is that they, uh, they owe those transnational criminal organizations uh, to, uh, for their passage. Um, I, how that's paid off, it, it can last, a, it can endure. And uh, to, to what extent, what kind of damage that, that does to a person, uh, it's, it's, it's not, not a good situation for us uh, to be in, not to be out there. Um, and optimize between those POEs mm-hmm. uh, to to combat
0: that. And it's tough for our men and women to have to see that day in and day out. I mean, they, they see some of the worst conditions, and and you know, uh, just by the number of the rescues that they that they do every single year across all the sectors, and and being there in those uh, in our holding centers, and and I've seen them changing diapers, mixing formula, bringing. games for the kids to you know to play with and you know they see it from a parent standpoint Mm -hmm. uh, over time that's that's a stressful thing for anybody to have to see and deal with every day it is and uh i think uh some of the things that we we try to
1: do to uh help alleviate the situation with the unaccompanied children uh uh, piece uh, in the volumes that were there um, may have helped with that Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh I went down there and I looked at the uh, how their processing is done in the Donna facility, and, and and we are caring for them when they no doubt they yeah. get into yeah. our custody. Uh, they are in better hands when uh, they're in our custody for sure. Uh, in, in the way that uh, we are taking care of them, but uh, when you see how they are being moved and, and that there, there's phone numbers and names being written on on these kids. Yeah, um, it, it is. And that's it. That that's what you have uh, when they're they're left on the border uh, with just a name and a number
0: um, and, and maybe an address. And that's the part you know, trying to drive that point home. We say that we have to to stop that flow of illicit traffic, illicit people coming across. It's not just for our benefit; it's for their benefit too. You know, people coming to this country—that's what built this country. And we just need everybody to do it the right way. And they need to be able to do it the right way, and let us focus on. The things and people that would come to do this country and its people harm, uh, and people that want to immigrate the right way, people want to come in and be a part of this country, be able to facilitate that somehow. Correct, and we, the, the way it's happening here, um, the, the amount of uh,
1: the amount of those volumes that are coming up and, and having to make the journey in the fashion that they are, and um, to, to the, how much of that volume is being victimized is that's unknown. Yeah. but uh, we know that that is
0: occurring um, we see instances of it It's probably that tip of the iceberg theory you only see Correct. what you see under the surface who knows what else is going on well so back to the border security side so we're we're focused on the the threats the people that are smuggling narcotics and the people that are bringing in you know uh, the convicted criminals and it, we don't just stop uh, we, we're not just out there patrolling the border and oh if they get if they get past us up you know they, they made it. We have a layered approach to how we how we do border security, and one of the things that you are pretty familiar with is our checkpoint operations. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of things about that on YouTube and on the news. And talk through at a basic level, kind of the purpose of our immigration checkpoints and what they're designed to do for us. So the, it's it's really addressing the routes of egress away
1: from the border, and, and like you said, we can't uh, um, if if there's not enough of us out at the border, then uh, some of what it is that comes through that border is going to utilize those roadways to get away from the border and and further their entry into the United States. Um, Been working at checkpoint operations since my first station, Deming Station, Mm -hmm. and we had uh, uh, every facet of Border Patrol uh, work out there in Deming, and we'd set up tactical checkpoints on on different uh, roadways, and and you'd have smuggling loads come up uh, to those checkpoints. Uh, it's a very challenging situation uh, when uh, you, you know <laughs> that uh, you're setting up a tactical checkpoint um, and uh, you're gonna catch something and then you're gonna become you know encumbered with having to process that and that, and that uh, multiple other uh, uh, potential loads are going are now going to be making its way through that uh, that same roadway road. because you're occupied with the load that you're processing um, so yeah, they're an integral part to uh, addressing uh, the uh, that traffic, that illicit flow, uh, because it addresses the, the road networks that allow that egress and those transnational criminal organizations to move that contraband um, from another country into this country and press that contraband into this country.
0: So it's really about going after those that are smuggling. It's about trying to make life more difficult for them to ply their trade mm-hmm. in that area. The thought being that if it's too difficult or there's too great a consequence, they won't do it, mm-hmm. or they'll go someplace else. Yes. And so in addition to that, you also have, especially in Swan, I know this because I know you, the, the targeted <laughs> enforcement effort, I mean, you, you take it to the networks that are responsible as best you can. Oh, yes, most definitely. That is the, uh,
1: that, I, and I can't say again enough about the partnerships with the U.S. Attorney's Office and, and the work that we do with them and our other partners uh, that are out there, DEA, HSI, uh, FBI. Um, um there as well as the state and and county partners it's really understanding what it is that you have when you have something uh, when you have a uh, smuggling load and you you catch that smuggling load and then you you apply that consequence and then you you get the good interviews uh, of of those those people that are being smuggled and and you come to learn that there's a an organization that's operating against you uh, that's, substantial, that's complex, that is very good at what they, they are doing uh, against you. And uh, then you have to counter that well, in you. a challenging environment.
0: Very challenging. And I think was it was uh, General McChrystal said that it takes a network to defeat a network. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of it, on our side of it, we have a network. We have a network of all of our investigative partners, federal, state, and local. We have uh, ourselves and, and whatever consequence can be delivered, whoever ends up putting the handcuffs on that individual 99 times out of 100, that was a team effort to get to that point. And we don't really care what the charge is as long as it makes them not able to operate mm-hmm. illicitly in that area. So state state prosecution may go. It may be, it may be IRS that prosecutes them for tax evasion. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it, it could be DEA for something or narcotics. It could be HSI that does something immigration related. Uh, it could be anything. We don't care as long as the bad guys are the ones that go to jail.
1: And, and and when you are able to apply that consequence, uh, when you are able to uh, work that that well with your U.S. Attorney's office and have that uh, that consequence delivery uh, to those violators, they're more apt to tell you more about the criminal organization they're working for, mm-hmm. and uh, then you get you get more understanding of of your operating environment. You get more understanding to the extent of that network that's working against you. And then you can do more about it. Then you can be in the right place at the right time the next time that they're moving. And you, and you again, get another
0: and another and another. And I think that's such a great message to give to the men and women that are trainees right now, that are those that are interested in joining the Border Patrol, and, and even the members of the public that we serve. It is so much more complex than just seeing agents in green and white (laughs) Tahoes patrolling the border. There are so much more going on behind the scenes that are going after some significant threats to this country. That is what the Border Patrol and CBP is all about. That is our mission, not being confined to just this one piece that they see on the news. Correct. We have a complex
1: mission. Uh, We are are constantly uh, uh, going after complex threats. And um, we util- we utilize uh, very talented people to do so.
0: Yep. So, so you personally, twenty nine years in, and you have seen uh, a lot of, like I said, surges and and changes in this organization. You joined when it was under the Department of Justice Immigration Naturalization Service. You, like me, went through the, the transformation transition, mm-hmm. transition to uh, to CBP, and you saw. Our world changed. The The Border Patrol grew in ranks just substantially and in, in a relatively short, short amount of time. Seeing all the things that you've seen and going through some of the challenges that we've gone through, there's something that keeps us in the game. You know, number one, coming to a job like this is a calling. If you're gonna be a first responder, if you're going to be in the military, if you're gonna be law enforcement, fire, EMS, you name it, you don't get in those uh, fields to get rich. You do it for another reason. What was yours?
1: Oh, the reason was to serve, was to help uh, uh, protect this country, and um, I, I, I hold to that. I hold, uh, try to hold true to my oath uh, that I took, and like I, the trainees here at the academy, um, that same that same vigor, that same fire uh, uh, to do uh, that mission is still with me, and,
0: and I enjoy it. There's two words that are very important to anybody that wears this uniform or this patch. You know what I'm talking about. Honor first. Honor first. That is our motto. That's our guiding principle. That's something that uh, that we live by, and we like to say those two words belong to us. You know, talk to the trainees about what honor first means to you or what it has meant in your 29 years with this family.
1: It, it means choosing a lifestyle that is uh, that puts a service before self. It means uh, that you're, you're going to look to do uh, what uh, is the right thing, that uh, people um, external uh, to us should be able to look at, at your actions and, and see that they
0: were reasonable, that they were righteous in all things that you're doing. So another softball question for you. Would you say that that, uh, that particular piece of how we live plays into our success with our partners in our community and uh
1: I think so absolutely it is having that attitude that uh, that positive attitude that uh what we're doing uh is um a critical mission and and, and having that that spree decor um behind that mission uh, I think it resonates with
0: our partners I do too I do too and I think that uh, goes to the public's Trust that's mm-hmm. the thing that all law enforcement organizations have to have to be successful. If we don't have the trust of those we serve, we cannot function, we cannot do our job. And only by living on first do we preserve and keep that public's trust anywhere in the country. And I don't think our partnerships, especially with our communities, would be possible if they were looking at us out of the corner of their eye, wondering what we were up to. No, no, I think uh, we, we try to be as
1: transparent as possible. And, and, and I think educating outward and that uh, we're holding true to our oaths, um, uh, to to serve the, the, at the um, Constitution, uh, uh, support and defend the Constitution, um, uh, should should shine through. Yeah.
0: So you have the trainees here at the academy that are listening, and you have men and women out there that that are serving right now. Any message that you want to give to them, or anything you want to say to them. Uh, from twenty-nine years of service to, to the youngest agent out there right now. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the patrol. Glad to have you.
1: I look forward to uh, protecting this country with you.
0: It is a family. It is. Yeah. Uh, you are here. and uh, what class are you doing the fireside chat for tonight? Eleven sixty-five. Eleven sixty-five. That's your class. Yes, That's the one that you're uh, that, that you're mentoring. Mm-hmm. Most folks don't know that uh, that every class that comes through the academy right now is assigned a senior mentor. It's somebody senior leadership in the organization, and you guys come out and you interact with the class at different points mm-hmm. in time. What's been your experience with that so far? I think it's great. I think it's a great opportunity to uh, uh, allow
1: uh, the these agents that are just coming in to the organization uh, to have some some back and forth uh, with. Uh, some of the leadership that's already been through what they've been through and, and to ask uh, very candid questions about what the job's going to entail and what it is that they're, <laughs> they're going to be asked to do. What is that expectation, you know? Um, and, and I'm learning from them. I'm actually getting energized uh, from them to see them and to see that uh, uh, that that youthful
0: um Energy. It, is, it is kind of reinvigorating being here whenever there you because you feel you feed mm-hmm. off of that you see them uh, moving in formation and they're sounding off and you can see i mean they're dedicated they're 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 locked on you now they're they're studying they're doing their their physical uh, training everything about it you can tell they're excited to be here doesn't matter how long you've been in or if you're in a rut you come to this place and it can't help but kind of recharge the batteries a little bit it does
1: Yeah, it does and what you've been doing here uh with the academy and how it's evolved i think it's great things. So well, thank you for that.
0: And no, and, and thank you for coming here. And I know that the, uh, the trainees, it means the world to them to have you here and be able to talk to you. And, and the fact that you're taking time out of your schedule to fly all the way from Vermont, which I'm sure is a direct flight to Roswell, <laughs> New Mexico. Right? A, not necessarily a direct <laughs> flight, no. <laughs> well, Chief, I, but I
1: brought the cold with me.
0: So. You did. And it's a, it's a downpour down there. So I'll <laughs> take that any day of the week over 110 degrees. But that's just me. But it means a lot that you're here, Chief. Thank you for coming. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for another episode of What's Important Now. We'll talk again soon. Honor first.